Well, I guess um, many of you are sitting there thinking, what on earth is he going to say about that passage? And I've got to tell you, the first time I read it, that's exactly what I thought. What on earth am I going to say about that passage? But what I want to do is to highlight for you this theme of consequences. When God made people... He gave them the power and the privilege of choice. People have freedom to choose all kinds of things. But they do not have freedom to choose the consequences of their choice. You've already made lots of choices this morning. And there were consequences for every one of them. If you made the choice to sleep in or to lie in bed this morning then you've probably been rushing to get here to church on time. There was a consequence for that choice. If you chose not to do your laundry yesterday and there were clothes that you needed for today, there were consequences for that choice. Whichever route you took to church today, there were consequences for the choice that you made that meant it either took you longer to get here or you got here quicker than you expected. Whatever you eat, there are consequences for that. Whatever you say, there are consequences for that. Whatever you do, there are consequences for that. You can choose to eat or say or do, but you cannot choose the consequences. And in the passage today from Genesis we find there are things which people say and do that have far-reaching consequences. And it gives us pause to think about what we say and do and the consequences of our choices. In the last message that you had in this series last week, you would have looked at the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the beginning of Genesis 19. And there you would have seen that even someone who was righteous, and Lot is described in the New Testament as righteous, could stuff things up big time. Lot thought that he could live in Sodom and be a good influence. Instead, the evil of Sodom influenced Lot and the consequences were devastating. In order to save face and protect his guests, Lot did something horrific. He offered his virgin daughters to the lusting homosexual mob to do with them as they pleased. He may have been a righteous man, but this was an unrighteous action and totally in contradiction of what would later be part of God's law. A bit later on in the book of Leviticus, we read these words in Leviticus 19.29, Do not defile your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will be filled with prostitution and wickedness. Indeed, Lot was not only intending to do an evil thing in taking advantage of his daughters in this way, but he was actually also jeopardising their lives and any hope of a heritage, and all of that to protect himself and his visitors. There were consequences for his actions. Brothers and sisters, we may be followers of Jesus, and so be saints in the eyes of God. But that does not mean 
that we won't do evil things. It doesn't mean that we won't stuff things up. And there will be consequences for the choices that we make. Sadly, we live in a world which is infected with sin. We're a world which is immoral and decadent. A world which is opposed to God. And all of those things can infect us too. And it can cause us to make choices, to do things that as believers we ought not to do. And there will be consequences for those choices. We won't lose our standing before God and God will not abandon us, but it will affect our relationship with God and with other people. And we will need to repent of the mistakes that we make and turn back to God. The first part of the reading that we had today, at the end of Genesis 19, completes the story of Lot. And in it, we find that the influence of Sodom had consequences beyond its impact upon Lot. It also infected his daughters. In an ironic and bizarre twist, Lot's daughters end up taking advantage of their father, sexually abusing him and gaining male heirs that they thought they would be deprived of. But there were serious consequences for what they did. And so in these first few verses that we see, and we've had that passage just read to us, I'm not going to necessarily read it all again, but just to refresh your mind in the first part, Lot goes up to, into the area of, uh, out of Zoar and lives in the hills with his two daughters. And they realise that as a result of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they really have no future prospects. Their fiancés chose not to go with them. And so here they are, two single women, thinking, what on earth are we going to do? Who's going to look after us in our old age? There's nobody to take care of us. And our father is getting old and he won't be able to father any more children very soon and produce uh, you know, a brother for us that we could marry because, of course, in those days they were able to do that. And so they decide to take things into their own hands and they make this decision that they are going to get their father drunk and they will go in and have sex with him and end up getting pregnant. And so that's exactly what they do. And you see at the end of this passage, we are told that they both end up bearing a child, one called Moab and one called Ben-Ami. The end of Lot's story is really quite pathetic and degrading. Back in verse 19 of this chapter, uh, we find that Lot had been afraid to flee to the mountains when he was told to do so by the angels. Instead, he was allowed to flee to this city of Zoar and that ended up being protected when Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding region were destroyed. But now, Lot is afraid to stay in Zoar. Probably there were people who lived in the city who lost family and friends in the area which God devastated and people would likely blame Lot for what had happened to their family and friends and for what God had done. And so he's feeling rather nervous about staying in Zoar. And so he flees from Zoar. He goes to the mountains where he lives in this cave with his daughters, as we've read, 
And they, have this, they hatch this plot to be able to say, well, how can we end up having someone to take care of us in our old age? They take matters into their own hands. And they had learnt this lesson from their father to do what was in their best interests. And so they participate in this sexual relationship with their father and they end up giving, uh, getting pregnant and giving birth to sons. The older daughter named her son Moab, a name that actually sounds very much like the Hebrew words for from father, from father, which of course was exactly where he came. And he was the ancestor of what became the Moabites. The younger sister named her son Ben-Ami, which basically means son of my kinsman. And he was the ancestor of the Ammonites. But what these two daughters did was to bring shame and disgrace on their father by having sex with him. And what their offspring ended up doing was bringing shame and disgrace on Israel in the future. The nations of Moab and Ammon became perennial enemies of Israel. The Moabites were a nation whose women seduced God's people into immorality and idolatry. You can read that in Numbers 25. And the Ammonites sacrificed their children to the pagan god Moloch. You can read about that in Leviticus 18. And both of them led Israel astray. What actually happened in that cave above Zoar was, in a sense, sowing the seeds for the rebirth of Sodom. There are consequences for actions. And while they think about having a child just to take care of them in the future, what they give rise to are nations which are opposed to God and opposed to Israel. Now, in this account... It seems that Lot is exonerated and not seen as responsible for what happened. It's very likely that he would not have agreed to his daughter's plan if they had disclosed it to him. So they found it necessary to get him drunk in order to carry it out. And while he may not have been guilty of wrongdoing in this particular instance, since you know he was coerced, he was actually unaware of what his daughters had done, Nevertheless, the immorality of Sodom, which had impacted upon Lot, also impacted upon his daughters. And they carried out an action which was just as despicable as Lot offering them to the men of Sodom. They offered themselves to their father, who in his drunken state had totally inappropriate sexual relations with them. It should be noted that the girls were not motivated by lust, but by a concern over their predicament as they saw it. They were husbandless, they were childless. Their father was now without a wife and getting old and soon wouldn't be able to have children and potentially produce a husband for them. When their father eventually died, they would be abandoned. And the text is not really focusing on the evils of incest, nor the innocent or guilt of Lot and his daughters, 
nor the justification or the culpability of his actions. We will read the text and we see all of those things in there. The point of this account is to show the consequences of actions. That's why this story is here in the Bible, to show us that there are consequences for actions. It's the result of what they did that receives the focus and attention. God allowed nations to arise, the Moabites and the Ammonites, who were not the immediate recipients of God's blessing that was given to Abraham. They weren't part of the direct line of Abraham. However, God still intended that they should be blessed, like all the nations of the earth, through Abraham and his offspring. But as the story of the Old Testament unfolds, we find out that they end up being opposed to God and his people, turning away to other gods, to idolatry, to immorality, and in due course to harassing, opposing and infecting Israel. Brothers and sisters, there are always consequences for our actions. What might seem like a good idea at the time or the better choice of two options, both of which could be bad, can end up having unintended and unforeseen consequences. Such consequences may include disaster or severe hardship. It may lead to the severance of relationships or the destruction of friendships. It may result in immorality or a life of crime. It may lead to feelings of worthlessness or insecurity. It may result in a loss of a job, loss of opportunities or a loss of confidence. An old proverb says this, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Another one says it's better to have a fence at the top of a cliff than a fleet of ambulances at the bottom. The biblical wisdom is that we are to avoid anything that will make us impure in thought or word or deed. Proverbs 16, 6 and 17 says, By fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. The path of the virtuous leads away from evil. Which Whoever follows that path is safe. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 talks about avoiding sexual immorality and learning to control your own body. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behaviour. Brothers and sisters, we are to make every effort to heed God's instructions and to live by them. Ask others around you to hold you to account, to point out actions that you're doing which could lead to disastrous consequences, to let you know when you are allowing the world to influence you instead of being a positive influence on those around you. You do not want to be the unwitting or witting instigator of evil or rebellion or immorality. You do not want to be the one to, to be held account by God for leading astray your children, your family, your friends or those who look up to you. There are consequences for actions. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, 
Do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And James says that part of true religion is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There were consequences for the actions of those mentioned in Genesis 19. Lot did something despicable in offering his virgin daughters to the mob to appease their lust because he had lost his moral compass. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities were destroyed because of their wickedness. Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt because she looked back longingly at what she was leaving behind. And Lot's daughters did a wicked thing with their father because they had been infected by the immorality of the city where they lived. And there are consequences for our actions too. But that's not the end of the subject of consequences this morning. Lot was not perfect and suffered the consequences of his decisions and his actions. But his uncle Abraham wasn't perfect either. I've already said that you can be a righteous person and a follower of God and make mistakes, and Abraham did just that, and then more than once. And so in the second part of the passage that we've had read to her this morning, we have this story of Abraham and Abimelech. And again, I won't read it because we've had it read to us, but just to remind you of what happened when Abraham goes into an area, uh, he talks about his wife Sarah as his sister. And so Abimelech, the king of Gerar, who sees her and realises that she's a very beautiful woman, decides, well, there's another one to add to my harem. And so he takes Sarah to be a part of his harem. And then he finds out that, uh, in a dream, that he's going to be a dead man because of the woman that he had taken. She was Abraham's wife. Now, Abimelech had not actually, at this point, had sexual relations with Sarah, um, and he decides that, whoa, I've got to do something about this. And so he kind of complains to God and says, hey... I was deceived about this. And God said, yep, I know. That's why I've kept you from sinning against me. So I haven't let you touch her. And instead, you are now to return her to her husband. And so Abimelech does exactly that. He goes all of his servants in. He tells them what's happened. They're all very much afraid. Abimelech calls in Abraham and says, what on earth have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought me, uh, brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And so Abraham, uh, Abimelech says to Abraham, uh, what did you see what, that you did this thing? And Abraham said, well, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in this place. 
and they'll kill me because of my wife. And besides, I told you the truth anyway, because she is my sister. She's actually my half-sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she has become my wife. And so when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, you know, do this kindness to me. Tell people that you're my brother because that'll make it easier for us. And then as we see in the story, Abimelech takes sheep and oxen and male servants and gives them to Abraham in compensation for what has happened. He returns Sarah, his wife, to him and God then opens up the wombs of all of um, the house of Abimelech that had been closed because of what had happened with Sarah. All right, now that's just reminding us of what we've read. Abraham settled in Gerar, where he became afraid that the local king Abimelech would kill him and take his wife, as we just saw. Sarah was very beautiful, and Abraham had long ago decided to avoid trouble by saying that she was his sister, which was, in fact, as I said, partly true. Verse 12 tells us this. But the incident in chapter 20 is in fact a repeat of the same issue that Abraham had 25 years earlier with the Pharaoh of Egypt. If you go back to chapter 12, you'll see that's exactly what happened. When Sarah was 65, the same thing was done by passing off Sarah as his sister. This is 25 years later. She's now 90. She must have been pretty good to be good looking at 90. But she was still a beautiful woman. And on both occasions, the sin of taking another man's wife brings suffering on the ruler's people. Pharaoh and his people, Abimelech and his people. There are consequences for actions, not just upon us, but upon others around us. Abimelech realised that there were consequences for what Abraham had done. And when he was warned in a dream that he was as good as dead for having taken another man's wife, he realised straight away that his nation would be destroyed. And so to avert such a consequence, he bargained with God. Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, He's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. In Abimelech's minds, the consequence of judgment upon himself and his nation was not justified because he had been acting in good faith. He had been misled by Abraham and he had not yet consummated his marriage with Sarah. So just like the earlier incident with Pharaoh in Genesis 12, the ruler reproached Abraham. Abraham apologised and explained his lie and Sarah was restored to her husband. It seems that Abraham had not learned from his first mistake and his old fear led to his old deceit. He began to walk by sight and not by faith. He began to be afraid we read that in verse 11, fearing what men might do and forgetting that his God was the almighty God who could do anything. But how so like us is this? The main thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. 
like Abraham, we are prone to making the same mistakes as we've made before. The, the fears that we thought we had conquered can raise their ugly heads once again. And instead of remembering the lessons from last time, or remembering that our God is the Almighty Sovereign over the entire universe, and forgetting that if God is for us, who can be against us, we tend to default to the same pattern of behaviour that results in problems for ourselves and those around us. Once again, we see that a follower of God, a believer in God, can and does sin. Abraham is described as someone who believed God in chapter 15, verse 6, and he did everything that God required of him. It says in chapter 26 and verse 5 of Genesis, yet he still sinned. The Bible tells the truth about all people. It doesn't hide the fact that Noah got drunk and exposed himself in Genesis 9, or that Moses lost his temper in Numbers 20, or that David committed adultery and plotted the death of a valiant soldier in 2 Samuel 11, or that Peter denied the Lord three times, Matthew 26, or that Barnabas lapsed into false doctrine in Galatians 2. The Bible tells it like it is. It doesn't hide things from us. These things are recorded not to encourage us to sin, but to warn us to beware of sin. After all, if these great men of faith disobeyed the Lord, then the rest of us ordinary people had better be very careful. But Abraham had a sinful nature and so do we. So even though he was a man of faith and we are people of faith, sin can still trip us up. You may be sitting here in church today, tripped up by some sin in your life. You may be listening online or listening to a recording of this message, too ashamed to go to church, this church or any other, because you fear that your sin might be exposed. 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it is clear that believers do sin. But that does not make your faith invalid or destroy your salvation. It may discredit your testimony or it may cripple your vitality or it may make you ineffective in life and ministry. Abraham lost his testimony and his ministry. How could he talk to his pagan neighbours about the God of truth when he himself had told a lie? He was supposed to be a source of blessing to the nations, according to Genesis 12, but he ended up being the cause of their judgment. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, dubbed the Prince of Preachers, said this, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. You got that? God does not allow his children to sin successfully. When we deliberately disobey God, we suffer both from the consequences of our sins and the chastening hand of God, unless we repent and submit to his discipline. The fact is that because of the work of Christ on the cross 
And because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we can be forgiven and we can have victory over sin and the old nature. However, this is not automatic. Paul tells us that we must walk in the Spirit if we hope to overcome temptation. Friends, sin can be forgiven. Failure is not the end. Mistakes can be rectified, but it's going to take a recognition of our failings and a need for God's forgiveness. It's not too late to seek that. It is never too late to seek that. There is another important related lesson here about the fulfilment of God's promises. God can and will achieve his purposes in any way that he wants and irrespective of what we do. But he chooses to work through us. And if we want to participate in God's promised blessings, in God's great promise, which is the theme of your series in Genesis, then we need to separate ourselves from worldly corruption and stop trying to do things from a human perspective controlled by human emotions. Sinfulness and weakness of faith created a threat to the promised blessing. And once again, God had to rescue Abraham from the mess that he created. Are we too presuming upon God? When Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 5, he said this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? There is one other consequence that I want to touch on to Abraham's action. Just as Lot influenced his daughters to act in a worldly ways, Abraham left a legacy for his own son to act just like he'd had. Abraham's sin was duplicated a few years later, by his son, Isaac. Isaac does exactly the same things as his father did, passing off his wife, Rebecca, as his sister. She was actually his cousin. Because he feared that the men of Gerar would look at his wife's beauty and desire desire her and decide to bump him off so they could have her. Exactly the same scenario as his father, Abraham. The king of that time, when Isaac committed this this great sin, was also called Abimelech. And he happened to see Isaac caressing Rebekah in a rather unbrotherly way. And so he summoned Isaac and he challenged him about Rebekah being his wife and not his sister. And he says that if any of the men of Gerar had slept with Rebekah, it would have brought disaster upon the Philistines. Have you got the message yet? There are consequences for actions. Abraham's mistake 
were no doubt communicated to his son Isaac. And like father, like son, Isaac made the same mistake as his father. The later Abimelech, like his predecessor, knew that there would be consequences for taking another man's wife. Only confronting the truth and putting things right could avoid the disastrous consequences that would follow. The stories and the exploits of our parents, our grandparents and our great-grandparents and sometimes ancestors even further back get passed down to us so that we're influenced by what they have done, both good and bad. And so often we hear people being described as a chip of the old block, meaning that we're just like our father or mother. But that can be in both good and bad ways. Some people wear that chip on their shoulder, meaning that they have a grudge or a beef about something or someone, perhaps shaped by their parents' attitudes or views. Some people are finely balanced. They have a chip on both shoulders. And some people feel like they can't escape the legacy of their parents, no matter how hard they try. But we are not defined by our heritage, nor need it shape what we do moving forward. As sons and daughters of God, we are new creations. And we have new lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 makes that very clear. And if we humble ourselves before God, his Holy Spirit will lead us in the path of righteousness so that we can break the cycle of perpetuating any bad examples that have been handed down to us. What legacy will we pass down to the next generation? Be that our own offspring or those watching us. What's your legacy going to be? The final thing that I want to note about the story of Abraham and Abimelech is to note the reversals which occur. Abraham's fear of death gave way to Abimelech's fear of death. Quite a reversal. Sarah was restored to her husband and her reputation was cleared. Abraham was made wealthier through the compensatory gifts of Abimelech. Abraham's disposition towards Abimelech changed significantly. He went from fearing Abimelech to praying for him. Abimelech's impending judgment of death was transmuted to a new lease on life, fully restored in health. And the barrenness of Abimelech's wife and servants was removed and they're able to have children. This is uh, rather ironic, actually, because even though God had promised that Sarah's barrenness would be reversed, it had not yet happened. That comes in the next chapter. But the thing to be emphasised through all of these reversals is that it is God who is at work. It's God who told Abimelech that Sarah was Abraham's wife. It's God who kept Abimelech from consummating his marriage with Sarah. It's God who had told Abraham to move from place to place. It's God who actually healed Abimelech and his household. And it's God who had caused all the women to be infertile. God acted in mercy towards Abimelech 
informing him of Sarah's married status, keeping him from sinning against Abimelech and from God himself. God acted in mercy towards Sarah, preserving her purity, keeping her from the ignominy of people thinking that the child she would eventually bear would be someone other than Abraham's and ensuring that the line of descent that would eventually result in Jesus was kept intact. God was gracious to Abraham, increasing his wealth, and even though he had done nothing to deserve it, and in fact had made another big mistake, he was gracious to Abimelech and his family, restoring their health and fertility. Friends, no matter what happens in our lives, the sovereign God is in control. He's always acting in mercy and grace towards us. It's often been said that mercy is God not giving us what we deserve and grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. And that's true for both Abimelech and Abraham and it's just as true for us today. The message from today's passage should be fairly clear, I think. There are consequences for actions. God is sovereign. He will achieve his purposes no matter what, working through both pagans and people of faith, but there will always be consequences for our actions. Yes, God may act with mercy and withhold judgment, and he may act with grace and give us what we do not deserve, but we cannot presume for a moment that he is bound to do either in any particular situation or that we can escape the consequences of our actions. It's therefore necessary for us to align ourselves with God's will and to keep short accounts with him. And may each one of us have the mind of Christ in all we do and say and let him have his way in our lives so that our actions and our consequences would be good and beneficial and honouring to God. May you be blessed to hear this word from God today. Amen.